Good evening, everyone. My name is Qualcli Olivier Herrera, and I am a postulant for the vocational diaconate here at Incarnation Anglican. Uh, thank you for joining us for worship tonight, today, uh, whatever time you're, whatever time is in your time zone right now. Um, I've had the I've had the honor today of sharing with you the homily, uh, a homily which is inspired by the readings that we just shared together from Psalm seventy-eight, Matthew fourteen and Romans 8. But before we get started, let us first pray. Um, let us pray, uh, pray that even though I hope that what, I share, what I'm sharing with you comes from the Holy Spirit, let us pray that whatever isn't from the Holy Spirit, whatever God doesn't want for us, that is filtered, and that what you end up receiving is only what God wants you to receive. Uh, so let us pray. Father God, we just uh, thank you for bringing us together into a time of worship and fellowship, Lord. Father God, there are a lot of distractions. The distractions that we fabricate for ourselves are, are endless. So Lord, Father God, whether whether it be phones, uh, family, friends, uh, bugs on the wall, whatever, whatever could be a distraction for us, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit be the inspiration of our energy for the next uh, for the next hour, for the next 30 minutes, Lord, however long you have, you have us here. Lord, Father God, uh, let the, the words from my mouth, the words that come out of my mouth, let them be from you, Father. Let your Holy Spirit reign over this place, Father God. Let it reign over our discernment, Father God, and what we perceive. Father God, whatever comes from me that isn't from you, Lord, Father God, I pray that you filter it so that what we receive as a congregation is only what you want us to receive, Lord. Father God, we pray over our leadership, we pray over our pastors, our, 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 our clergy, Father God, our lay, our lay leaders, Father God. We just pray that you put them all, we put them all in your hands, Father God, that we may continue to be steward well, Father God, under your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Alicia Perez, born in Mexico City on July 5th, 1926 was not just my grandmother and a sister in Christ, but she was also a fantastic storyteller. In fact, given that she passed away almost 10 years ago to the day, I am quite confident that she has spent the last 10 years in heaven telling amazing stories from her life and the lives of her children and grandchildren and potentially now great-grandchildren. My grandmother, in quite typical Latin American fashion, lived with us. In fact, I, can, I can't think of a long stretches of time in which she didn't live with us at home. She was such a constant in my life that as a child, I would ask her to record my favorite TV shows on VHS tapes, since I would often come home late from school. And she would. She would daily record my favorite TV shows and not once, not once did she complain or ask for a justification. She just did it. She loved me. It was a way through which she showed her love to me by recording me my favorite cartoons. And yes, they were cartoons. I was in elementary school. Um, but Alicia also showed she loved and cared through her storytelling, at least in my relationship with her. Every weekday when I got home from school, and definitely during the summer when I was in vacation, I spent considerable amounts of time hanging out with her in her room where the TV was also was always showing 
one of two things. Either the latest TV sermon from the local megachurch, or two, the latest best telenovela from Mexico or Latin America. And for you, for those of you that don't know, a telenovela is a soap opera. It's a Latin American soap opera. So I, she would either have on a sermon or a telenovela. Both are obviously incredible sources of wisdom and guidance. <laughs> um, I very much prefer the telenovelas to the TV sermons. I think I still prefer the telenovelas uh, as a grown adult. Um, so, so here I was, I would sit and, and hang out with my grandmother for many hours watching telenovelas with her. And it was in the midst of all this time together that she would often engage in storytelling. She would turn to me, making sure that I was ready for a crazy and amazing story from her life, the lives of her ancestors and the lives of her children. These stories that she told, all true, even though some of them very old, were not just a way to pass the time, even though it certainly helped. To my grandmother, and now to me, these stories represent the way in which my grandmother could best teach me the great lessons that she had learned throughout her life. It was her way of passing along both wisdom and our history, a family history full of great pains, but also blessings and miracles. But primarily, this was her way of teaching me from a very young age, like I said, elementary school, that God had always been faithful, that he continued to be faithful, and that God would continue to be faithful. Through her storytelling, my grandmother taught me that despite of her failures, shortcomings, and constant struggles in life, being the mother of eight children and growing up very, very poor, that God had never once, never once abandoned us. You see, my grandmother wasn't an academic. She wasn't a teacher by trade or, or, or profession. She, she lived off a pension from the Mexican government after working for many years as a caretaker for the elderly in a senior home run by the government. Um, being orphaned from a young age, marrying at a young age, and raising children throughout her life, advanced schooling hadn't really been an option to her. However, I want to believe, even though I can't verify it, that my grandmother may have acquired her great storytelling skills from the senior citizens that she took care of all those years. I want to believe that maybe, just maybe, just as I was her disciple in storytelling, that she had for many hours listened to the great and tragic stories of many people to whom she was their only audience. I want to believe that it is now my job to pass along not only the storytelling skills my grandmother displayed, but also the message constantly present in her stories. That God is faithful yesterday. God is faithful today and that God is faithful tomorrow. Therefore, God be praised. It took me many years to realize 
whether my uh, whether my grandmother meant for this to be my conclusion or not that all along many of her stories were not just accounts from her life and her journey with God but that they were also parables parables that have successfully stayed with me for more than 30 years and will continue to be passed down to the next generation as long as I do my part. Therefore, the message of the psalmist in Psalm 78 is of no surprise to me. And as we just read it, let me just kind of remind you of some of the, the, the statements from it. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And skipping to verse 6, that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The psalmist here is quite direct. Teach the children and the rest of the current and next generation the great deed and works of God. But also teach them, quote, the dark sayings from of old. The psalmist here is saying it isn't enough to teach of the good times or the fun times or the times in which we lack nothing. No, it is possibly more important to teach them about the dark times, the bad times, the imperfect times, the times we stumbled, the times we cracked, the times we broke, because then it is in the midst of our brokenness and shortcomings and the shortcomings of our self-proclaimed independence and self-reliance. It is in the midst of, of that, of when we fail, that God's name and works and salvation for us can be glorified. Not just in the context of the good times, but also contextualized in the dark sayings of old. It was Jesus, after all, who said, Let the children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if the psalmist is right, here in Psalm 78, then we must grasp that to live out Jesus to the current and next generation, it isn't enough to present to them a smiling Jesus or a Jesus as my homeboy, even though Jesus does smile and Jesus is our loving brother and, and potentially our friend. <laughs> but that isn't enough. The story of Jesus would be incomplete without the passion, right? His story would be incomplete without the Savior's cracked skin after all the whippings from the Roman legionnaires. Without the Savior having to drag the instrument of his own death across the streets of Jerusalem. It would be incomplete without the nails on his hands and feet and the spear thrusted into his torso. But that brutally dark and seemingly hopeless context is necessary. 
in order to fully grasp and understand the glory and wonder and miracle of the resurrection. Context is everything, right? The psalmist here in Psalm 78, in fact, goes on to do exactly what he professes. He goes on to summarize, almost as a parable, the story of the people of God up to that point. And as we can see, it is a story that is full of dark times, full of rebellion against God, full of sin, full of moral failure, full of killing and dying, full of pain and suffering of idolatry. But as the psalmist reminds us time and time again, it is a story full of instances of God being faithful, even when his people can't help but to be ungrateful. In scarcity, we insult God. In abundance, we forget Him. And yet, God is faithful because it is in His nature to be faithful and forgive and to provide and to make a way for His people. And we also see that in the person of the Son of God, of Jesus, especially in our reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Here we see a Jesus that has just learned of his cousin's brutal death at the hand of Herod. Like the, the passage right before is the death of John the Baptist. And, and Jesus is just now learning about that. And can you imagine, like you're in the middle of your ministry and suddenly you get this news of your cousin being beheaded in a brutal fashion. And here we see a, a Jesus that is grieving, mourning, suffering, processing that loss. It reads, quote, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. In verse 13. I can't help but imagine that Jesus, both Son of God and Son of Man, wanted to grieve alone, to mourn alone, much like many of us would. But the crowds couldn't leave him alone. So it reads in the following verses, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he said to them, Not today, y'all. Not in the mood. Grieving and mourning Savior here. Right? That's what, that's what, he, that's what he said to them. No, that's, that's, that's not what he said to them. <laughs> it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And what did he say? What does it say? He had, he, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He went to work. The Savior, Son of God, went to work. He was grieving, mourning, suffering, and pain. He's trying to get away from that. He arrives on shore. He sees the crowds. They, they, just, they won't leave him alone. They won't stop following him. And what does he do? He's like, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. That's, that's our God. Jesus, the grieving and mourning son of man, sees the crowd in their need, in their suffering, in their hunger, in their disease. And he has compassion on them. And in his faithfulness, he heals them. He comforts them. He feeds them. He provides for them, even against the protests of his disciples. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is faithful in the midst of our calamity. 
even when our present calamity is or may be a product of our own doing. For it is in God's nature and character to be faithful, even when we choose not to be. So let our personal parables reflect that, right? The stories that we tell, the testimonies that we tell, let them reflect that. One another pastime that I share with my grandmother was our great interest in history. I want to believe that part of the reason why I'm a history fanatic, a history buff uh, today has to do with both my grandmother's storytelling, um, but also her accounts of being a teenager during World War II. As some of you may already know, uh, and this is kind of silly, I take time every June 6th to remember uh, the Allied landings at D-Day, at Normandy uh, in 1944. Uh, and, and, and if I'm given an audience, I will take time to share the details of the operation and, and, and how the Allied uh, landings were so difficult to pull off and how it was, it was you know, a few details away from being a, a total catastrophe. Um, but you know what, to be fair, the the accounts at the the great Allied victory at D Day and and you know all the victories in World War II are incomplete without the context of the dark times, right? They're incomplete without the context of the the, the Nazi occupation of Europe and all these brutalities. They're incomplete without the many years of brutal bombings and air raids over London and the rest of Britain. They're incomplete without the relentless destruction and assault of, of the German blitzkrieg across, across Western and Eastern Europe. The accounts, the storytelling of you know, the victory of democracies in World War II are simply incomplete without the context and the evil that they came from. And also, honestly, without the context of the evil of war and then violence, even, even when it's for a justified cause. Therefore, if we are more than happy to provide context to the great human victories of, of in war of our Western democracies, how much more should we make sure that our stories, our testimonies, our life accounts as individuals, our parables as a community, our history as a church, follow the advice of the psalmist in Psalm 78? And that in our storytelling, we include our calamity, our past sins, and our failures for the benefit of the present and the next generation that God may be glorified and honored in our need of his faithfulness. If we can provide context for our own human greatness, then why shouldn't we provide context for how great and faithful God has been in the midst of our darkness? Additionally, and possibly more painfully, we shouldn't see our acknowledgement of the church's own historical failures and moral collapses as taking the focus away 
from Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. Instead, we should see it as part of our refocusing on Jesus and on the kingdom. As we acknowledge and ask for repentance for our past and present sins as a worship community. And we seek reconciliation with our neighbors, especially those who are also brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a lesson that we are currently learning, processing, and discussing as a small group in um, reading Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. So let us not sanitize and censor the darkness of the past. For in acknowledging the truth of our past tribulations and calamity, God's triumph, faithfulness, and redemption of his people is worshipped and glorified. To quote, uh, to paraphrase Paul in Romans 8, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who or what will erode our trust in God? A God who can't help but to be loving, compassionate, and faithful. Who will tear down our faith and confidence in Jesus? Who or what can dare to take away our victory and life in Jesus? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Shall the threat of death itself break our confidence in the Lord's faithfulness? No, nothing can. As Paul goes on to say in this letter to the Romans, quote, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor hide, nor death, nor anything else in creation, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38-39. Now that isn't just a promise to the saints, but it is also a declaration of how overwhelming God's faithfulness has been and will continue to be. For Paul goes on to say, you know, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, is the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God has always been faithful. God has promised to be faithful. It is in his very nature and character to be faithful. We see that in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in, 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 the, in the time of the apostles. We see it today. Therefore, since God is faithful, let our parables, let's let our, our stories, 
our life accounts and our failures and victories reflect God's constant and everlasting faithfulness. Quote, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should share their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now let us go into a time of silence and meditation as we reflect on how our parables reflect not only God's faithfulness, but how our own dark times can honor and reflect the glory of God. Thank you.